I actually now wish I would have said camels or something like that. Yeah, you could have. Uh, but the goats bah. are fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. And we're off. <laughs> we're off. That was a bad idea. <laughs> I couldn't help it. I got I got an animal noise and a dad joke all out at the same time. How cool was that? Uh, it's terrible. It is. But I embrace the terrible entry music. It's the Bob and Josh show. Big news. We have a chatbot. What in the world would you need a chatbot for, Metacast? Simple. We can't be there when you need us every time. But now, for a small monthly fee, because it took some effort to get this to happen, you can ask us anything, anytime. We've loaded up every episode we have over... 1.5 million words, mostly Bob. I know we're all saying that. Into a chat bot that you can ask any question, anytime, any day, and it will extract all of the information, all of the knowledge from all of our episodes and give you the best answer possible. I can't think of anything better than that. So for just a couple coffees or monsters, if you're me, you can have access to Bob and I 24 seven. Even bigger news, it's Memorial Day. So that means Everybody has sales. That means us also. You get 75% off your first month. That's $5. You can try anything for $5. You can't even get a burrito for that. $5 gets you Metacast in your pocket 24-7, 365. Give it a shot and then give us feedback because we want to make this thing great. Greater. We know it's great. We want to make it like great, 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 great. All right. On to the episode. Backlog refinement. What Prince. is it? Yeah, yeah. What, what is it? Uh, we're we're done with the, the the the. We can't talk about Prince. Come on, let it go. Let okay. it go. Okay. Let it go. Purple rain. Well, no, no, you can't do that. <laughs> I can. No, you you can't say. I'm let on it the. Go. Hey, hey, hey! I'm on the. the hey, hey! I'm on the left side today. I can hey. change that. I can. I know you can. can fixed. But the universe has conspired to allow me the left. To put me on the left, so, 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 uh, backlog refinement. Yeah. Uh, what is it? What isn't it? Is it? Is it something else? Uh, is it? Is it broader and deeper than we think it is? So let's let's talk about backlog refinement. So you okay. start. You start. You you know what? You turned into a product guy over the years. Uh. I mean, I'm not trying to p pigeonhole you, but when we first met, when I when I pigeonholed Josh Anderson, you were like a DevOps tool guy. Mm -hmm. When we first met, you were configuration management ish mm -hmm. stuff, tooling stuff. And so I, you know, I was I was younger then and sort of silly. I I sort of marginalized you into Josh is a DevOps guy. Uh, then development, uh, and but then product. Yeah. So you you had a huge piece. I've been a huge part. So backlog refinement reactions. To me, backlog refinement is like eating your vegetables. Ooh. If you want a strong healthy organization oh my god are you go oh I, no keep going please i you, love the metaphor you have to eat your vegetables and the companies that are good at the vegetables win 
when I get hired to come in and evaluate an agile team or whatever it might be, that's the first place I go. A, do they do it? B, if they do it, what does it look like? Is it healthy? Is it actually achieving anything? <laughs> there's a lot yeah. of times, a lot of places I've been where there's a there's a refinement and it it doesn't resemble anything that I've ever tried to generate as refinement. But that's the thing. Those companies, those departments, those teams that regularly eat their vegetables and have a really good refinement session on a regular basis, those are the good ones. You walk in, you say that, you're like, okay, they're they're in pretty darn good shape. There's not going to be a lot that needs to be tweaked, but that tells you a lot about what that is. And and again, staying with the vegetable theme, you can have the vegetable that's like corn or potatoes that everybody eats uh, like this guy. Uh, but we're talking about if you have really good vegetables, if you have the broccoli, you have the cauliflower, you have things like that. So you're really invested in doing that. Just like in life, it's going to, it's going to lead towards really good health. You know what happened to me just now, Josh, what? I'm smirking. I'm smirking. I your, your head turned into a Brussels sprout. Just, just in my mind, just for a second. <laughs> you know, that's the only food I've ever had where I had a gag reflex. Brussels oh, sprouts. My, oh, Brussels sprouts are. I mean, I'm sure I'm cooking them poorly, right? I don't think uh, there's anything you do to make them good, but I don't, I don't know. But, but you were a, a damn handsome sprout there for a second. <laughs> <laughs> for a second, thank you. I, I agree with you on the. So I, I forget who Rock Bar said something like, yes, but not how most companies do it. I That's my one observation I have. Uh, when I'm coaching, it's an entry point for me. Backlog refinement is one of those really powerful entry points for me as a coach. If I can navigate, if I can convince people to invite me, is to attend and watch uh, their their refinement. And and I don't mean to be the I don't mean to sound like the wizard of what good looks like with refinement. I have my own version of what good looks like. We might want to ex explore it together here, but but a lot of people are not they're miss they're they're missing refinement. So for example, they look at it. What does bad look like? Uh, just estimating stories, um, and and getting to points. Trying to. Uh, trying to either spend it's spend an hour beating beating a user's story to death or or not spending any time on it at all once you get the number once you have global thermonuclear agreement on the number you just move on yeah. right so there's no conversation uh it's a tactical exercise uh one Usually person done by, the, by like a couple people like i've seen like a po yeah. and a scrum master or a technical lead or yeah. something, right? Yeah. It's everyone looks to to Josh. What, what number do you have, Josh? And everyone, yeah. so it's there's a director. That's really bad. It's not no, this collaborative. I am talking, I've seen it where it's religiously two people. Re oh. Forget just, the whole team. Like the whole team is not yeah. even there. They're just yeah. like, we're going to refine the yeah. backlog. And I look around in the meeting like. And it's, under the, and it's under the banner of we're saving the team time. Yeah, you know, a very often. Always, so yeah, I'm right. just giving those are areas of like bad, you know. But it gives me an in indication of that. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if there's two people doing it, you get a realization culturally mm -hmm. that it's it's very command and control. 
again, not not judging it. It's command and control. Mm -hmm. uh, folks look at teams as being producers of stuff. So outcomes are important. So it's giving you an indication of that. Even forget that, the team, even if the team is there, if the entire team is there, I've seen developers talking and testers like keeping their little heads down and just agreeing yeah. uh, with whatever and not providing like a, their perspective or UX folks not providing their perspective. But it's this wonderful, rich, I'm going to land it this way. I don't think backlog for a coach is a window into culture, is a window into the product, a window into the technology, right? And a window into the culture. Mm -hmm. and, and it's invaluable uh, if you're trying to understand the context that you're in. React yeah, to anything I said. It, that's That's why when I'm engaged with a new company, that's the first place I go is like, okay, let me see refinement. And they're like, what are you talking about? That's like, oh boy. Uh, and then like, yeah, we have it. And then I, again, depending on the health. Now, interestingly enough, I've never been hired by a company. And Bob, this is a question for you. Have you ever been hired by a company to do coaching where refinement was already in a healthy spot? I have not. In fact, I have most often been hired in to help companies uh, coach themselves out of a tough spot and the most consistent trait is refinement doesn't exist at all i would i rarely i i'm trying to i my i do not remember a time when it was done and i'm not talking about perfectly or in bob galen's mm -hmm. you know according to whatever rules i have mm -hmm. i'm just talking about I, I i'm looking at refinement i'm like wow Interesting. That's pretty good. I don't know if that's ever happened to me uh, at all. I, I think I agree with you. Uh, another anti-pattern that you brought up that I've seen a lot is they're not doing it at all, right? It's because it's a waste of time, right? People look at it as a waste. It's it's just a waste. I'm not going to waste the team's time. Uh, so they're not, or they're doing it so quickly or it, it, they're, it's it's really they're not doing it at all. So I see that a lot. It's usually an anti-pattern thing. Uh, I've probably written a lot. <laughs> You're gonna hate. <laughs> I've written some posts. You know, like what does good refinement? Several, mm -hmm. and maybe we attach them to this ex to this episode. Uh, just because of that, I, I think organizations don't understand the basics of it. Uh, in my product owner book, I have a chapter, at least a no. I know I have a chapter on refinement, but I know I talk around it. Like what healthy refinement? And I'm not trying to give folks a recipe, but like we talked about, what would be a healthy attribute? Team collaboration, for goodness sakes. Uh, using story points and estimation as a driver for understanding the story, as opposed to just getting a number so we can pin it on the team's forehead and hold them accountable to it. Things like that. Uh, the mute, you know, sort of getting the getting everyone's voice um, as a coach. Oh, go, go. Just can, can let's, let's take that and let's lean into it because I think this is one of the things where you and I naturally see it and feel it. So let's talk about that healthy backlog refinement and what that tells us about culture, right? Like we said, oh, it's a window into culture. If I'm out there listening, I might be like, Bob, what the hell does that mean? Like, how do I, what in the world are you talking about? I think it's probably worthwhile because we've talked about story pointing. We've talked it, about yeah. refinement. There are episodes that are out there, but this is one of those things that you and I both believe in pretty heavily 
again, we talked about like, that's where we start. Let's talk about what that translates to and that how that helps you create a healthy overall culture by just doing one meeting well. Well, forget even the backlog. Let's talk about diversity. Let's talk about diversity and inclusion. Mm -hmm. And that's important from a cultural perspective. So do all voices matter? And do all voices have the have the opportunity to talk? So I, is it I a was safe joking. space, right? Is it a safe space? So as a new hire, do they feel not even is it okay? Are they welcomed yeah. to provide their insights, even if they don't have a freak, even if they provide a stupid idea because they don't know the code base? Is it like, wow, thank you for the cur you know, how are they? So is it a diverse and inclusion inclusive environment? Uh men, women, are women's voices as important? Are people of color are they included in that? You can see that depending on the dynamics, ages. You and I joke so much about we have, I, I do it, we have generational differences. But all joking aside, like like very often old folks are, are marginalized. <laughs> it's like it's like Bob, Bob is over 60. I, w I wonder if his brain is still working. So we probably don't want to listen to his ideas. Uh, instead of flipping it around. Yeah. So you can get, and I'm not, I'm not talking about gross, you know, we need to bring HR into backlog <laughs> refinement. I'm talking about the fine-tuning aspects of, do you have a respectful culture? Do you have an inclusive culture? Do you have an experiment-oriented culture? Do you have a risk, uh, you know, a, an embracing of risk culture? And you can see that. Yeah, there, there's, a, there's another cultural piece that often shows the silos that are within a company, and that's just, do, do all roles have an equal voice? You know, you talked about... QA so often being quiet, uh, but do you get a QA person that 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 speaks up and is like, "Hey, this needs to be bigger because of X, Y, and Z"? And do people like brush it off or they're like, "Oh, dang, you're right. We we should add a couple points because this is going to be an absolute bear to test because we don't have a harness for that." Exactly. There's some things there. If one person throws out the size and everyone just agrees, yeah. so you you can see. I don't know if it's safety or it's just complacency, and it could be interrelated. But sometimes teams are just not motivated or they're complacent, right? It's just, I'm not going to weigh in for whatever reason. Yeah. Safety is a dynamic of that. Yeah. He said, if QA doesn't speak up, does someone push that conversation? Or I don't know about push, but encourage, invite, right? When I'm, when I'm in a scrum master role, uh, I'm, I'm, very, I'm very proactive in getting all voices engaged. Even if folks are uncomfortable. Right? I'm not trying. I'm not trying to reduce safety, but I'm like I would really want to hear. I want to hear QA voices, because uh, and yeah. sometimes I'll 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 throw myself under the bus. I think that is a, a bear to test, and I haven't heard it. It's a three point story, and no one has talked about testability. No mm -hmm. one has talked about performance testability. No one has talked about data sets. How much effort we're going to have to put together to put data sets together that to test that. So can we hear some of that stuff? So I'm teeing that up and I'm putting myself out there because yeah. it's not just test. It's, it's me. So talk me out of it. Tell me I'm stupid mm -hmm. and, and it's not a worry or whatever, but to get that, uh, Orisk, we've talked in the Metacast before about ORSC coaching is a coaching program. And I love their term. It's called deep democracy. Mm -hmm. Deep democracy is getting, it's just what resonates in my mind. We're trying to get backlog refinement should engage deep democracy. 
which it's not the democracy part, it's the all voices part, right? It's very inclusive and it's continuously. And if we're getting the culture right, the team is doing that themselves. I think that's what Steven, is someone on the team doing that? Josh, you froze again. Steven, you're, if you're hearing me, Steven, I agree with you. Sometimes you can broach it on their behalf until they start seeing it. What you're doing there is creating safety for it, Steven, uh, right? Or creating the, so I, I think of it as creating the space for that conversation. So I, I think that's an important part. I, I do think a lot of coaches, so it's a window Backlog refinement is a window into culture, but if you flip it, or it, that almost implies like you're looking through the window and you're watching. And that, as a coach, it's useful for that. But flip it around when you're in backlog refinement as as a participant, independent of your role, it's a wonderful place to influence the culture. And that's what's that's some of the stuff that Stephen's talking about is that you can role model, you can not just talk about deep democracy, but you can show what it looks like. You can role model what that looks like. You can take a risk to create the safety for that stuff in the team. You're not going to get a, I don't think you get a miracle change in one refinement session, but over time it, it can fundamentally shift the culture just from that one event. Anything else? Take us in another direction around refinement. If you have one, I think something that is interesting to talk about would be when do you consider it refined and what does that look like? There's, there's a lot of definitions. You and I probably have different definitions, but that's always one of those things that new teams struggle with is what does done look like for refinement? When do I like, say this is good enough? Like, okay, let's move on. It's ready for sprint. Well, there's that readiness criteria. It's, uh, there's a lot of debate in the Agile community around, I like ready ready criteria or mm -hmm. readiness criteria as a, little, a mini checklist. Uh, a lot of people, you know, sort of judge that. And and a lot, a lot of, you know, sort of very senior people like Mike Cohn, well, I think he may lean into it a little bit, but a lot of pundits lean, have different opinions. I like it. And so to me, one of the advantages of readiness and, and it's not too strict. So it's not, yeah. you know, you know, we have global thermo agree agreement on the points or the story has achieved 8,252 words. It's not ready. So it's, a, it's, it's not that kind of readiness, but light readiness to say, is this ready for to enter the sprint or to enter the iteration? And that doesn't mean that everything is known. So part of readiness, I like using percentages. Like we know enough. We know roughly 50%. We have 50% clarity of the story. So we have confidence that we can enter the sprint and we can exit the sprint with it. Yeah. Something like that. So readiness that, criteria. But the other thing, real quickly, yeah. there's ready to enter, but there's also how much to refine. As you were as you were mm -hmm. talking about it, like what is the runway? How yeah. many things to refine ahead? So so refining it, readiness. Is it ready for prime time? And then how many of those things do we need to have in our hands? I have very strong opinions about that as, as I, since I've been labeled the product guy now by Mr. Galen. You are. Uh, what, I know, I know, I know. And, and that's where I spend most of my coaching these days is getting the product side of the house healthy. 
the key word you said in defining when it's ready for sprint is confidence. And that's always the question that I ask of the team is, okay, is this at a point where any one of us could confidently grab this story off the top of the backlog and start working on it? If not, then we have a little bit more to do. And that's tough for, for new folks. Cause it's like, what does that mean? But you get there over a certain number of sprints as you test that out and figure out your, what does a seed look like? Do you, do you want to do tasks? Like I know Bob's a big task guy and I'm not, but, but do you want to predefine those or do you want to work on those? What? That's not an insult. It's just that it was, a task guy. no, it was a, it, the way you couched it. Oh, it was, it, it hurt my heart. Uh, this is a safe space, Robert. I'm not couching oh, anything. Okay. How dare I'll, you? All right. It's uh, still, as far as <laughs> it's okay, but I'm not really going to forgive you. <laughs> uh as far as the runway i found two to three sprints of fully refined ready to rock and roll stories what what was that bob i don't know did you just mimic me talking a lot (laughs) i oh no don't 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 are, are you, you serious are you serious did you no. just do what i think you did no i'm My sorry hand. viewers and listeners but this is something that i gotta slam the brakes on all right that's, uh, that's wait hold, hold it hold it can i apologize no the deed is done <laughs> <laughs> i had a momentary senior moment i don't even recall what i was doing don't give me that crap i've got the video i can remind you <laughs> yeah over and over over and over again. Uh, in fact, that's going to be a social media. No, post. don't, don't, please it don't. Is. It's going to be a social media post. Yeah, you were. I was. Insp- you energized me so much I couldn't control my hands. Don't Josh. try so, that. Crap, so please, it? please move on. Please, no. please uh, cut me some slack. I, I will be happy to get back on topic, sir. Happy to. Two to three sprints is is that magic number for me because. What that shows me is that that team really is at that confidence level. And you can only get to that confidence, real confidence in the work that you're going to do when you're not doing what I call just-in-time planning. And if you're always refining what's next, it is going to be impossible for you to have confidence in everything that you pull in because there is undoubtedly going to be a story or something out there that people don't have that last bit of clarity that needs a little bit bit of work whatever it is if it's oh we should probably do a research spike but like oh we don't have time so we're just gonna you know it's like that uh famous video of like we're gonna do it live uh, so that that's that's where you get in trouble and so that's what i define as a really healthy organization has two to three sprints of like really well refined ready to rock and roll stories when i see that or when i've helped generate that then it's like my work is done here and i can ride off into the sunset and go find another uh company that doesn't have a backlog and try and fix that i mean i might i might say yes and though josh that it's not for every company so i think it depends on some things so 
I, going back to what you said, one of the indicators of uh, poor refinement is I've actually gone into companies and they refine right before the sprint. So they have no look ahead. They have zero look ahead in the day the day before they commit to a sprint or even in even in sprint planning, they're actually refining. So they're coupling planning with refinement, which is right. can be really ugly if you actually want to deliver, understand what you're biting off. So to me, that's like zero look ahead. Then there's then there's so that's that is very dangerous. I think having what 20 sprints in the bag or 10 sprints in the bag right. is really dangerous. Now it's there's wasteful. A, it's wasteful. Ah, I love that. I think of it it's exactly the same. From a lean point of view, it's it's just waste. Now, I don't think there's a magic number though, because I think it depends on your culture and your company and like your road mapping and things like that. So I'm I'm gonna hate myself later, but I'm gonna say in safe in safe environments where we're doing release trains, then then the runway needs to sort of map to the release train tempo, which may be beyond two or three sprints. Uh, and you may be generating, and it may you may look at it as waste, but it's you have to tolerate that waste, right? Because you're going to have a lot of turbulence because you're going to be you're going to be grooming grooming. Ooh, you're going to be refining ahead too much. But uh, so it's like finding that sweet spot is what I think it is. If you had a really major release with new technology, I might argue that if your normal look ahead is two sprints, you might want to get three or four sprints ahead for maybe just for the team to have some confidence in their understanding of architecture. Just once, John. You know what I'm saying? It's like a you might want to not have a fixed number all the time. There might be some constraints, but you really need to be uh, waste aware right on on both sides what do you think i am going to stare disagree you're going to disagree steely eyes and violently normally confident chin and and say no two to three is the answer and here's why i believe that as an indicator and a place to go because to get there you have to do all of the pre-work that has to happen to make it so that you can have that refined and ready to go so having the architectural research done up front driven by chapters or whatever safe says or whatever is whatever label it is that you have that nice flow of work from the broader annual roadmap or whatever you use into some sort of psi or pi planning however you want to roll with it i do believe that that psi or pi planning is essential even though it came from safe I think it's fantastic. And that's how teams go from the roadmap and big chunky things that executives yep. want. Like we want everything to work like Google docs, you know, to like actually breaking it down into stories that you can go work on. And there is something, and I don't want to get into it today, but you just, you just made me think of this. There's, there's backlog refinement. And then there's what I call, or what I think of as good old fashioned release planning. Um, in XP, they did release plan and, and it was look ahead at a different level. Mm-hmm. It was not refinement based look ahead. It was sort of road mapping look ahead. It was high level architectural threads. Um, uh, uh, what was it? Story, uh, Jeff Patton calls it story mapping, uh, mm-hmm. to me is a release planning activity and, and you can look at it in sprints and things and really rough sizing. It's, if you were using t-shirt sizing, this would be like 
<laughs> this would be Bob Galen sized t-shirts as opposed to very small t-shirts. Uh, I think if you're doing both of those, both, both of those things to me are, um, are, are refinement activities, maybe at, at a, a macro and then a, a lower level. Yeah. And, and, and what I said is if you're doing that release planning, I don't, I, then I think you can have a tight, consistent loop on the, on the other side. I just, that's, I think there's multiple levels of the planning yes. that yeah. can happen. Yeah. I, I, I track it too. There's three horizons of planning that has to get done. Yeah. And they're all, they, they all are executed the exact same way, but the units of measure are different. Yeah. Uh, be it time and or how you size things, the units of measure are different, but you're still doing the same thing. You're still refining the next two to three X, whatever that unit of measure is, be it quarters, be it months, yep. be yep. it whatever you still have to do that. And that creates this nice, I don't know of a better word than like waterfall flow of like breaking things down where as it travels down the water flow, it starts as this like giant boulder, but it tumbles down and it ends up in smaller uh, rocks or pebbles that now are consumable. And, but it has to start at the top. And if you skip a step, you're going to end up with a boulder at the bottom. And then what are you going to yep. do? Right. It, yep. It's still, you're back to that just in time planning. I do you remember. I, I don't know if you remember it because I'm not sure how you were looking at the agile community, but there was something called, and it still exists. People don't talk about it as much called the agile planning onion. Do you remember that metaphor? If you, if you did a Google search for agile planning onion, you're going to get all of these graphics yeah. and it talks about high level to low level execution and planning. And it even gets Josh, get ready. Drum roll, please. It even gets into tasking. At the at, at, it even gets, <laughs> but it's 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 useful for everyone who's listening to go look at that. But it really is a nice picture of what we're talking about. And agile planning isn't just at at the micro level. It's not just at the backlog level. Doesn't mean you have to spend all this time planning. But there's a uh, like work work flows down to decomposition. And understanding and things like that, and there's a there's a flow to that. I don't think you just work at one level, and and we're talking about that. Yeah. Okay, so we talked about. But let's another thing that gets interesting is entry point. What does something look like that you bring into refinement? Is it? Oh. a story with just a title or a description oh, or yeah. what other things should you have that will lead towards healthy refinement that will then start to generate that culture that ultimately, you know, uh, yep. expresses the culture and how it respects product. I think there's a whole lot as things come in again, as the newly labeled product guy, I'm going to have to like make a hat or something. Did you, but your astuteness, this is an astute question or point. I love I love the way you've evolved. What a partner. We're, yeah. we're becoming quite a team over time. So so I'm going to characterize it this way. Do you have fully cooked? So does a product owner bring in fully cooked stories uh, to the team for refinement? Or do they bring in crappy stories to the team? Uh, Ill-defined stories, crappy, sort of a hodgepodge, a headline. And that's about it it might look like this, which one? Uh, and that's the entry. So what, what, what enters the process? I, 
I talk about bringing crappy stories in. I, I actually think there's an anti-pattern where a lot of product owners in the world, and I've seen this over and over again, they're overwriting, they're over-investing, they're over-developing, and their hearts, they're not bad. Their hearts are in the right place. The other thing is the teams are making, very often, the, the, the teams are making them do it. The teams yes. push back. Yes. It's not. It's not good enough. <laughs> we or we can't estimate that. It has to be. It has to be eight thousand words, or whatever. And so there's a dynamic there. And I'm like, no, don't succumb to that. Bring crappy stuff, and then and then flesh it out together. So I want to hear your view because you're the product guy. But that's. I think that entry point is really important. What's your perspective on that? I think it was you at some point in my evolutionary journey into productism, I think you threw out a 70% number and I latched onto that. And that stuck with me of having a story 70 ish percent ready. So there's a headline, there's a description. I don't get too hung up on the, whatever the words are of, you know, I want so that blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't get really hung up on that. There, there, there are people that say like that has to happen. And a base level of AC. And the value that I find that comes with that is it gets us to the questions that matter faster. We don't have to spend a lot of time getting on the same page about what the heck this means. We can all relatively quickly consume those things that are there knowing it's not complete but we at least are on the same page about what that is what i find and a lot of waste that i see when it's just a title is you end up spending some number of minutes just unifying everybody on what the heck this means because it's there, there, there there's times where it's often pretty complex i i want to react to rock bar he said something and it's making me think um, and almost ask for a, a, some clarification. It sounds like you both are not that comfortable with uncertainty and haven't seen, I have seen impact mapping. I, I don't know about us. I, I have not, I'm not familiar with opportunity solution trees in action. I've seen impact mapping in action. There, there, there may not be a lot prepared in the next two or three units of time. So let's say the next two or three sprints. So dealing with tremendous, I think the question is dealing with tremendous uncertainty, uh, for sprint execution, right? If that's if it's the next two or three days versus the next two or three execution units, that's I'm not clear on. But mm -hmm. I'm going to assume it's the next two or three sprints. Um, I I think it's less. So one reaction I have, and, and Rockmar, please clarify, based on what we're talking about, so we you can narrow us in. Uh, one reaction is, yeah, I do. So me personally, Bob Galen, I have an uncertainty tolerance, right? As a project manager, as a human being, et cetera. Uh, as a coach, I'm relatively, I coach towards dealing with uncertainty, right? Dealing with ambiguity. So I have to, I have to have an outside. So I have an internal shell. I have an internal self that's somewhat uncomfortable and an outside self that tells that internal shell to shut up and just, and just deal with it. Uh, the one thing I wanted to bring, Rockbar, is what we think doesn't matter. You have an organizational, uh, you, you have to determine what your organizational tolerance is for uncertainty, I think is one is another factor. A lot of times when we're talking about backlog refinement, uh, 
and execution. It's for the team, but it's also for your ability to communicate goals and milestones and roadmaps externally. And saying, read the, you know, look at the impact map or look at the mind map may not be good enough for your board. So, so I'm, all I'm saying is it's not, ju- it's not just the teams. So uncertainty has multiple layers in my mind as well that you have to consider. So the team may have to actually deal with more, try to create more certainty by doing more work because of the, the organization wants that. Josh, I rambled there uh, to get more feedback. Go ahead. Two things in, in response to the diversion that Robert allowed us to dive into. Robert, Robert, Robert. Uh, I disagree with something Bob said in that you have to look at the organization's tolerance for uncertainty. I know a decent amount of us on this uh, live stream set that comfort with uncertainty by the roles that we're in or what we're hired to do there's a uh there's a level of uncertainty that is in place uh whether intentionally or not often when you get brought in to be a coach whether you're you know an outside consultant or an in internal coach there's a level of uncertainty that is in place again whether it happened on purpose or not it's there and a lot of what I've found coaching that I have to do is around uncertainty. And what I find most consistent is that there's an unstated level of comfort with uncertainty. They don't like it. They don't know why they're in a situation where they can't plan or anything that they do plan ends up five times longer than they thought they want to be better, but they don't know. And it's that level of uncertainty that they've accepted. They have not put their foot down and said like, this is not working. This is intolerable. We are going to drive towards more certainty in what we're doing so that we can actually deliver something with confidence and be proud of our work and be proud of the the effort and toil that everybody puts into this. Cause it's never a question of care or give a shit or effort that's always there it's just like daggone like we we can't we can't make a freaking shot so guess what let's move closer to to the hoop instead of getting further away there's so many people that just like take steps back it's like no let's let's get more certain about things we're going to hit and let's walk into that key in basketball and like hey guess what it's a lot easier to make a three-foot shot than a 30-foot shot so let's just do that um, and I, I think to get to the space that rock bar is talking about, I think that's possible, but I think it's possible with a really mature team and a really mature product that you can respond like that. And unfortunately, not many places operate like that. So that might be an ideal state that people can get to or aspire to get to. But I think the painful and harsh reality for most folks that are out there, that doesn't exist yet. And trying to do that would be like ruinous. I mean, Rockmark followed up. I'm not disagreeing with anything you said, Josh. He said, backlogs do not need to be that deeply defined under some ways of working. That's a key to me. Yeah. And it just triggered in me, well, there's different ways of working. If I'm in a combat styled environment, 
working on an IT support team, then, and, and my, my definition of ready for those th items is going to be very light. Well, then we may not have, we may have small ad hoc backlogs. And I'm like, absolutely. So team, so there's very team maturity, organizational maturity, the style of working is really important. The work stream that you're working on, the style of work, the style of work that you're producing are some of those things. So again, that's what I was trying to get at before, you know, when I was debating two or three weeks or two or three sprints, it wasn't that I was disagreeing with you, Josh. It's like these magic numbers that we apply mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. In, under all circumstances, we have to, that th there are no magic numbers. Now, two to three is a really good number. <laughs> that, that's, a, that's a number that in probably what, a product development context? That's that's a really safe anchor point. Mm -hmm. But then there's the Kanban context where, you know, absolutely deal with it differently. So I think Akbar or Rockbar, I think that thank you for that diversion or or for those thoughts. Okay. So getting back to the topic we were talking about, I tell you what, if you challenge Bob in chat, he cannot, he cannot I cannot resist it. He cannot let it rest. He is gonna, he's gonna perk I'm up. gonna get I'm gonna perk up. Did I perk up? I perk <laughs> up, don't I? Yeah. You were like, wait a minute. What? Wait a minute. What did what, what what just happened? It's like a squirrel. We should have like a little squirrel over there, right? Squirrel. <laughs> uh, so getting back to the conversation about stories being ready, I threw out again something I think I learned from Bob probably a decade ago of that 70% being healthy. Uh you seem to like it as a much lower percentage, and I see some waste created by by, by doing that 70% of what being helpful of, a, of clarity of a story. Of, yeah. Of clarity of a story before it's you just, bring it and put it in front of the team. You know, it, it varies. I've, I've actually, there's a guy, I have a graphic and I've talked about it. Uh, Joria Morian is a uh, coach in uh, Canada and he has this neat little hand drawing. He took a picture of it and I love it. And it challenged my thinking. So I think 10 years ago, I was anchoring around 70%, Josh. Mm -hmm. Some, and, and, what, and what I was really trying to use that number for is it's not 100. Because so many yeah. waterfallers are trying to get it to 100. I'm like, stop that. So I went to 70 to, to make a point more than anything else. That you don't, you do not have, no longer do you have to mash requirements to 100% clarity. It's actually, you can't do it anyway, but try don't do that. Joria uh, talks about, uh, actually sprint planning being a refinement activity. And he talks about entering sprint planning at like 30% or something like that of clarity. And which really, when I initially saw it, my hair stood up and, yeah, and I was really just like mine just did. Yeah. And then he talks about, and then getting, so having the entire sprint is a clarification exercise. And, and so this notion of bringing that number down, he's actually lowered my, I'm like in the 50%. There is no magic number. Yeah. But it's less work. We need starting to get comfortable with less clarity and still being able at a team level to sniff the good ones out and to be able to deliver them. Uh, and he also reminds me that we're like every day in a sprint is a refinement act. It's, defining refinement as gaining clarity right we're all we should be always focusing on going, gaining clarity yeah 
one of the things that I coach teams to is that refined doesn't mean there's zero question. Again, <laughs> refined. Watch out, Bob. You good? You can't hide from your camera now. Remember, it tracks you. You're trying to get Bob's coughing, trying to get off camera, but he has a fancy new camera that tracks him wherever he goes. He's trying to get off camera and can't. <laughs> you all right over there, buddy? Oh, oh, he just turned it off. Okay. Uh, drink that water, drink that tea. Where was I going? Oh, um, ready for sprint ready for sprint for me does not mean it's 100 defined but it's but it's pretty darn close again what i coach teams towards is it is that confidence that i can confidently grab this and start working with minimal questions and yep. i don't expect big questions to come up but like we can get we can figure this this stuff out as we go like we don't have to determine what hex code of blue we're using or something like that like let's we, we can deal with that but can i grab this start working and as i'm working through it there's a there's a handful of things that are going to come up and it's no big deal i can handle it and we're fine so that's what i'm you, looking for do you know what as i'm thinking about this episode josh it's um and we went in i think we proved one point if we came into this episode and talked about like a daily stand-up it would be very static but look at the nuance that we've been driving off of backlog refinement. We've gone into planning, cyclical planning. We've gone into dealing with you know uncertainty and things. And all fair game. We've talked about culture. So it is, I, th I think it, I think the proof is in the pudding. It's deeper and richer and different than a lot of other events or activities at the team level. Uh, yeah. I think I did a good job. Unfortunately, Josh, I have to run. So Metacaster, give us feedback if you'd like us to. I don't know if there's enough meat on this bone for another whole episode, but there might be some variety. So if you feel like we landed it, uh, give us some feedback. If you don't think we, if there's more meat on the bone, uh, then give us some feedback. And we'll and we'll dive into you know part two of this no, episode. No, no, please no, no but, more French. But other than that, I think we landed it. So from beautiful downtown Cary, North Carolina, I'm Bob Galen. And from equally beautiful downtown Fuquay Verena, North Carolina, I'm Josh Anderson. Shake and bake. Take care, y'all. <laughs>